Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always a great privilege and pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Let's discuss a little bit about the Jewish calendar, some modern Jewish history, and then we'll get into some beautiful ideas that we learn from this week's Torah reading. Today is the ninth day of the month of Kislev. The month of Kislev in the Hebrew calendar um, is the month where we celebrate the festival of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is on the 25th of Kislev. So it's Hanukkah, the Israel, the Jewish people rested on the 25th. Um, today is the ninth of Kislev. So let's go through a little bit, uh, some commemorations and significance of this date. So yesterday was the 8th of Kislev, and interestingly enough, yesterday is the yacht site of Golda Meir. Golda Meir was the first woman prime minister of the land of Israel. She was born in the year 1898 and died in 1978. She was born in Kiev, which uh, at the time was in Russia. And she was subjected together with her family to brutal pogroms. Um, and as a result of those pogroms, she moved with her family to Milwaukee in the United States in the year 1906. She was eight years old. And ten years later, while organizing an American protest march against pogroms that were taking place against the Jewish community in Russia, she decided to make Aliyah. And she became involved in politics at the age of 24 and was amongst the signers of Israel's Declaration of Independence. Um, she became the ambassador, the first ambassador of Israel to the Soviet Union and served as prime minister during the time of the Yom Kippur War. The 1970 Yom Kippur War was also um, a bit of a stain on her record because um, she was uh, uh, criticized for not taking the, many of the intelligence reports seriously um, of the build-up of forces on the Israel's borders. And as a result, um, the uh, Israeli army sustained a number of casualties in the early days of the Yom Kippur War until they could turn things around. Um, but she was viewed as a great woman and a great leader of the Jewish people. Um, she went through her own... Um, existential crisis. She was a socialist. She was quite a dedicated and um, idealistic socialist. And when she saw that the um, unity of the socialist nations turned on Israel and supported the Arabs in their attempts to destroy Israel, it created quite a crisis for her. And she was quite disillusioned with, so with the world socialist movement. Um, but nonetheless, she was a smart and uh, Astute individual, very good politician. Um, she was known to say that peace will come when the Arabs love their children more than they hate us, which is a very wise remark that she made. So we remember yesterday being the yacht site of Golda Meir, um, the ninth of Kislev, to, uh, the eighth of Kislev. Sorry, today is the ninth of Kislev, and today is the 
anniversary in 1940 when a boatload of 1,600 Jewish immigrants fleeing the Holocaust in Europe and Hitler's ovens were denied entry into the port of Haifa. So it's on, on this day in 1940 that there were um, a, a large number of Jews, 1,600 of them, that were denied entrance into Eretz Israel um, and into Haifa. The British deported them to the island of Mauritius. At the time, the British had acceded to Arab demands and restricted Jewish immigration into Palestine. Uh, the White Paper only allowed 30,000 Jewish immigrants to enter into Israel a year, and the Jews were fleeing the ovens of, of the Nazis and the, um, the great uh, dangers that the Jewish people faced, as the, the extermination of the Jewish people in the Holocaust. So that was taking place, and the British wouldn't allow them into the land of Israel because they were frightened of the Arab pressure and the Arab opposition. So we see, you know, what's going on today is nothing new. It's been going on for over a century and many centuries. Um, but we remember on this day how 1,600 Jews were turned away from the land of Israel by the British, and the urgent plight of European Jewry generated an illegal immigration movement, but the British were vigilant in denying them entry. Some ships, such as the famous Struma, sunk, and their hundreds of passengers were killed. So we remember that the British were not in favor of the Jews. On the contrary, they made life very difficult for Jews in Eretz Israel and for Jews wanting to emigrate to Eretz Israel and escape the Holocaust, but unfortunately they were denied access into the land of Israel. Okay, so that is today. Tomorrow, being the 10th of Kislev, is also a significant day, because the 10th of Kislev was when in 1977, the Egyptian president Anwar Sadat addressed the Knesset in Yerushalayim. Sadat was the first Arab leader to officially visit Israel after receiving the invitation from Menachem Begin. Sadat had orchestrated the Egyptian attack on Israel in the 1973 Yom Kippur War. So we remember yesterday it was Golda Meir's She was the Prime Minister of the 73 war. Uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of Sadat addressing the Knesset and he was the orchestrator behind the attacks in the 73 war. But after suffering defeat, he became resigned to the existence of the State of Israel. Much of the Arab world was outraged by Sadat's visit to Israel and his change of strategy. One year later, Sadat and Menachem Begin signed the Camp David Peace Agreement, for which they both received the Nobel Peace Prize. As part of the deal, Israel withdrew from the Sinai Peninsula in phases, returning the entire area to Egypt in 1983. So it was uh, it's, uh, already 40 years since that peace agreement was was uh, more than 40 years. It's 40 years since the, the Israel uh, stepped out of and withdrew from the Sinai. And I think it's very important to be aware of this history because we see the propaganda, the lies, the um, unbelievable distortion of the situation um, that that is happening right now in Eretz Israel. 
Um, but it's it, when one learns just a little bit of history, we see what the actual facts are, what the reality is, is on the ground. And that is that Israel desperately wants peace in the Middle East. Israel is not a colonialist aggressor um, persecuting persecuting the innocent Palestinian people and uh, carrying out, we hear these ridiculous accusations against Israel, which are completely false, that there's ethnic cleansing and there's genocide and there's occupation. Um, Israel hasn't occupied Gaza since 2005. Israel has not been in Gaza since 2005. And as soon as um, the Palestinian people had full control of Gaza, they voted in Hamas in 2006, and Hamas ever since then have been completely bent on attacking and destroying Israel. So it's not it's not to do with the occupation at all. Um, and we see that Israel is prepared to make very difficult concessions in return for peace, as they did with Egypt more than 40 years ago. And that peace is held. Baruch Hashem, thank God that peace is intact. And Israel would certainly make peace with anybody who was a serious partner in the peace process and who would uh, genuinely put down their arms and recognize the existence of the state of Israel and uh, peacefully move forward hand in hand in the region. So Israel is not the aggressor over here and Israel is willing at any time to put down arms and to make peace. The problem is that there's nobody to talk to on the other side and the Palestinians don't want to make peace. And they will not recognize Israel and refuse to move forward um, in a peaceful and prosperous future for the people of the Middle East. They will not stop until they destroy Israel. So Israel unfortunately has no choice but to defend herself. And everything that Israel does is in self-defense and has every right to defend herself. Um, the 8 million Jews in Israel face genocide. Uh, you know, they accuse us of genocide, which is a complete... Uh, uh, distortion and falsity of what the reality is. The truth is the genocide's coming from the other way, as we saw on October the 7th and the massacres carried out by Hamas. And as they've openly said, they'll do it over again and again until they destroy Israel. So Israel has to defend herself and will defend herself. And please God will be successful in her defense. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So let's look at one more date before we move further, and that is the Shabbos. I think um, it would be wrong not to mention that the Shabbos is the site of Rabbi Shlomo Luria, otherwise known as the Marshal. He was born in the year 1510 and died at the age of 63 in 1573. His ancestry was traced back to the great commentator Rashi, and he was the, the uncle of the Ramor, of Moshe Isilis, um, who wrote the um, the Code of Jewish Law, which is part of the Shulchan Aruch, the Ramor. So uh, Rav Luria was a very brilliant person. He wrote the classic a classic work on halacha called Yam Shul Shlomo. He also wrote a very famous um, commentary on the Talmud, on the Gemara, called Chachma Shlomo, which is uh, printed in most versions of the Talmud today. He was the rabbi of the city of Brisk, 
and the head of the famous Yeshiva in Lublin, um, which attracted many students from all across across Europe. He's buried in Lublin, in Poland. I've actually been to his grave in Lublin. The Chosim uh, Lublin is buried there, and he's buried just around the corner behind the grave of the Chosim Lublin. Um, he was a person of very direct and uh, no-nonsense kind of approach. Uh, we have uh, fascinating um, letters of correspondence between the Marshal, Rav Shlomo Luria, and his nephew, the Ramor. And the Ramor had a completely different personality. The Ramor was somebody who was gentle and who was more kind of soft-spoken and non-confrontational. And the Marshal was very direct, and he was not frightened to um, confront things head-on in a very strong way. And so, you know, it's very interesting to see their different approach and their different styles, which are communicated in their correspondence. But uh, the Marshal had a great impact on 16th century European Jewry, and uh, he will be remembered for his great genius of Chachma Shlomo and Yamshol Shlomo, his great works. And um, so it's his Yotzat coming up this Shabbos. What I wanted to share with you all is a very powerful idea, which I think is relevant to the times that the Jewish people is going through right now. And that is, you know, we always see important references and lessons from the Torah readings of the week. And this week we read Parshas Vayetze. The Torah tells us Vayetze Yaakov. Yaakov left Beersheba Halacharana. And he went to um, Haran. So um, Yaakov then has that very famous dream where he puts his head down and he dreams about the ladder, that it was Sulam Mutzav Atsa, Baroshimakia Shamaima, the ladder came down to the ground and it went up to the heavens. And we see that the Torah says says the Yifka Bamakom that Yaakov reached the place. And Rashi tells us that that's telling us two important things. That's a lashon of tefillah. The yifka is a lashon of tefillah, which means that he prayed. Um, so Rashi says, based on the Midrash, Lamdeinu Shetiknu Tefila Arvis. We learn, this teaches us that Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, our ancestor, established the evening prayer. We as Jews daven three times a day. We daven Ma'ariv, Shacharis, and Mincha. Ma'ariv is the evening prayer. Prayer Shacharis is the morning prayer. Mincha is the afternoon prayer. Shacharis was established by Avram Avinu. Mincha was established by Yitzchak Avinu. And this pasuk, Yifka B'makom, tells us that Ma'ariv was established by Yaakov Avinu. The second thing that this pasuk teaches us, says Rashi, is Lo kasaf hipalel. Doesn't it's not the Torah doesn't use a lashon of tefillah. Lamdecha that teaches us that the land was in Yaakov's journey it's like means the land jumped in other words the land came to him the the journey of Yaakov was much shorter than it should have been and it was like almost that the the area of Yerushalayim came to Yaakov when he was traveling so the Sfasemis says what's the connection between these two ideas the great Hasidic um, Rebbe, the Sfas Emes, who was the head of the, the Gera, Hasidim, um, a great genius who's got such beautiful, rich, deep ideas. He asks the question, why does Rashi tell us these two things? 
that the lotion of tefillah and that the, the land jumped for Yaakov, what's the connection between the two? So before we get to the wonderful answer of the Sfas Emes, let's uh, look at a beautiful idea of Rabbi Yeruchim, Rabbi Yeruchim Lovovitz, who was the great Meshkiach of the Mir Yeshiva. He explains the following. It's actually based on Rashi, Pasuk Yud Zayin, that we see that Rashi tells us that Yaakov Avinu, he passed the place where his ancestors were davened. Um, so as the Pasuk says, Yaakov al lo sham, lo yahiv so it's the, the Rashi tells us in Pasuk Yudzain that Yaakov passed the place where Abraham and Yitzhakadavim, which is the place of the base of Migdash, which is Yerushalayim, where the temple stood. So he didn't daven over there. So Rashi says, so why didn't um, Hashem reveal to him, why wasn't it revealed to Yaakov bin Hashemayim from the heavens that this is the place where he should pray because this is the place where his father and his grandfather davened. Ihu ad Haran Azar, but he went past it and went to Haran. So he went from Beersheba to Haran and he passed Jerusalem, the place where he had davened. Kedam rinan beperek gedanash, as it says in perek gedanash, vakara vakra mochiach for yele Haran. As the Prophet says, he went to Haran. Kimata lecharan ama. So when Yaakov gets to Haran, he's passed through Jerusalem. He says, Efsha sheavati al makom shidpalu avoisa avloit palalti bo. Is it possible? It's possible that I passed the place that my father and grandfather prayed to God, and I didn't pray there. Yahav date lemihadar. So he therefore decided. Yahav date means he decided. He focused. He he made the decision to actually go back to Yerushalayim to go back to that place because he missed the place where they prayed and he wanted to pray from the same place. The chazer ad base el the kafzaloa aretz. So then it says that the land closed up for him. So it says Rav Yerucham, an absolutely brilliant thing. He says that in life, there sometimes are opportunities for us to achieve greatness. And it's really up to us to make that step and to reach out and to hold on to to that greatness. Um, in other words, he explains Rav Yerucham that we see over here that this was the most important moment in the life of Yaakov Avinu that it was there that he has his dream. And Hashem promises him that Hashem will protect him and look after him. And he promises him the land, that land, the land of Israel, which is always so contentious and the world claims that the Jewish people have no right to the land. We see that more than 3,500 years ago, our ancestor Yaakov Avinu is promised by God, the creator of the universe, to uh, receive that land. That land will be part of his inheritance and the destiny of his um, offspring, of his descendants. So he's promised, Yaakov has promised this land. God speaks to him. It is the pinnacle of Yaakov's life. But Yaakov has to reach out and get it. He went past Yerushalayim and he didn't pray. And therefore that uh, moment of reaching the divine, of connecting with God, of having this audience with the creator of the universe passed him by. It's only when he gets to Haran that he realizes this. And he decides, Yahav Data, he decides to go back to Yerushalayim 
And then it says that the land actually came to him. Yerushalayim Haram Maria came to where Yaakov was in Haran. Says Rav Yerucham, it's only when he was Yavdate, when he realized this and he made that step towards Hashem, did all of this open up. So we see that there might be, in other words, you could say, was this Yaakov's destiny? Did this, in other words, it was or it wasn't. Either Yaakov was going to be the patriarch and going to carry on the Jewish people and God would promise him the land and Yaakov would then be the, the, the one who would bring into fruition this great mission that, that his grandfather Avram had started. Either it's destined for Yaakov or it's not destined for Yaakov. Either he's going to get this inheritance of the land or he won't get his inheritance of the land. Says Rav Yeruchim, it was destined for him, but he had to reach out and grab it. He had to make the first step. He had to want it. When we make that step, when we approach Hashem, when we reach out to Hashem, so then we will receive it. If we don't reach out, even though we have the capacity and the potential to receive it, it won't come our way. And so Rabbi Yerucham says that there could be a tremendous amount of brocha, of shefa, mina shamai, waiting for us, each and every one of us. It has our name on it, this blessing from Hashem in the higher world. Anything we receive in this world is only a result of the blessings of God in the higher world. So there could be much blessing, storehouses of blessing waiting for us. But the key to unlock that blessing is our attempt to reach it, is our reaching out towards Hashem, is our step, making that first step. We have to make the first step. You have data, and then we can access all that blessing. If we don't make that step, we won't access the blessing. That's what Rashi is teaching us over here. That's what the Torah is teaching us over here. That Yaakov only received the blessing. He went past it and he missed it. He then realized that and he Yahavdata, he made, paid attention to it. And he made an attempt and he reached out and then he received the blessing. And then it came his way. Which is a beautiful, powerful lesson in our lives. That only when we make that effort and take that first step, do we see the world turn around and open up for us. But I want to take it even a step further. The Sfas Emes takes it further and has an even deeper answer than that of Rav Yeruchim. The Sfas Emes says that the Pasuk says, Yaakov comments and he says, Yesh Hashem v'makom Is Hashem in this place? And he says, yadati. I didn't know Hashem was here. I didn't realize this was a holy place. And the Sfas Emes says that um, the Midrash says that there were wild animals and Yaakov then davens ma'arif. It means that it was natam. It was dark. Natam, spiritually speaking, symbolizes a time of Hester Pani, where Hashem's light is hidden, where we find ourselves in the dark. The dark, being in the dark is a, is a time of uncertainty, a time of lack of clarity a time of fear, a time of when we are exposed to the forces of darkness and the destructive spiritual energies that lurk in the night. And so even, so Yaakov didn't realize that in this darkness, that Yesh Hashem B'makom that Hashem is here, even amidst the darkness. I didn't expect to find Hashem even in the midst of the trauma and of the darkness and of the suffering. But he was, he, he still made the effort 
to connect to Hashem. He still davened Ma'ariv and introduced Ma'ariv even amidst the darkness, even in times of uncertainty and lack of clarity and of trauma when we're exposed to the elements. So we still are to look for Hashem in those moments. And if we do look to Hashem at those difficult, traumatic times of uncertainty, so then Hashem will turn the world upside down for us. When Yaakov made that effort in the darkness, the Bechar HaMoriah, the Beis HaMikdash, came to Yaakov. The sanctity and the holiness and the connection and the beauty of that spiritual connection actually reached out and, and came to Yaakov. Hashem was Meshane HaTeva, changed the normal way the world operates because Yaakov made that effort amidst the darkness, which is such a powerful lesson, such a, a, a tremendous insight of the Svas Emes, that even if we find ourselves in a time, so, so really they're saying the same thing, that Rabbi Yerucham, the Svas Emes. Rabbi Yerucham says we have to make the effort, and only then is there the response, and we see the world is turned upside down, and we'll achieve things that we never managed to achieve, and we'll access brocha that we never thought possible, but the Svas Emes says specifically in times of darkness, if we reach out to Hashem, and we maintain our connection, and we dove in Mairi, we pray to God, even though we find ourselves in the thickness of dark, and in the, the times of where we seem to have no hope, there's no light, even then, so then Yesh Hashem, Hashem is still there, even in those times of darkness. And that is a, a tremendous lesson for us, both on a personal level and on a national level. On a personal level, we might find ourselves going through difficult challenges and traumatic times in real darkness in our lives. But if we still hold on and connect to Hashem at those times, if we still dive in Ma'ariv, even in the dark, we still make that attempt to see God's light and to connect to God's light. So then the Kodesh Kakadoshim comes to us. The Harhamuria came to Yaakov. We will be able to accept, uh, to connect to Hashem in a very powerful, in a very, um, a very moving way. And we'll be able to develop and grow and reach levels of holiness and Kedusha, um, much more than we were able to, um, in different times, in previous times, in the times of Lot. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about good spiritual health and uh, this Fasimus makes this brilliant observation and says that Yaakov acknowledges that he loyadati I didn't know that Hashem is in this place and even so he still reaches out to Hashem and he davens Mairi from here we learn that we must daven at night Mairi which represents that even if we're in the darkest of times the most difficult of circumstances in a situation where the wild animals of the night are lurking and we are exposed and we are vulnerable and we don't see the light of dawn because we're in the thick of night. Even if we find ourselves in that situation and we still hang on and we still double myriv and we connect to God and we trust 
in God's kindness and in God's control and in God's connection. Um, so then we see that kafza alavaretz, that the har hamoria, that the base amigdash said Yerushalayim came to Yaakov in that dark place. The uh, Hashem changed the order of nature and brought that comfort and that light and that connection to Yaakov. So he made the first step, as Rabbi Yerucham says, and then amidst the darkness came this tremendous light and connection and promise and um, and uh, and uh, clarity to Yaakov in the midst of the night. So that applies to us on an individual level, and that of course applies to us on a communal level as well for Klal Yisrael. And that's why I thought this idea is very important to share with you today, because the Jewish people, Klal we find ourselves in a time of darkness. We find ourselves where we see that we accused of the most heinous crimes by the United Nations, by the world of academia, on campuses around the world, by many governments in the world, including our government here in South Africa, by mainstream media, um, the accusations of genocide and of ethnic cleansing and of murdering innocent children and of uh, uh, colonization of innocent people in a brutal way. The, these are terrible ethnic accusations that are being made against Israel and against the Jewish people. And if anybody has any idea, basic understanding of history and of the circumstances in the Middle East will see that these are all false accusations. They are unfair um, accusations against the Jewish people and they're completely inaccurate. They're completely illogical and inaccurate. And they fit into a narrative, a, a, a lazy uh, understanding and narrative of the world which is forced into the Middle East as well which is inaccurately forced in it's not, it's not true and it's really not the facts that and the history of the Middle East but, uh, Israel is not at all interested in persecuting the Palestinians Israel has no interest in colonizing the West Bank and Gaza Israel wants to make peace and will make peace at all costs and the Jews have the right to be on our ancient homeland which we have been, had a connection to and always been there for the last three and a half thousand years. We've got the greatest claim to land than any other people in the world because we've been living um, in the Holy Land and have always been there from the first time when Avram Avinu came, Leich Lechan, entered into the land. Till this day, there have been Jews in Eretz Israel, a land promised to us by Hashem, a land that we've lived in for three and a half thousand years and a land that we will live in until the final redemption. And we want to have peace. We want to make peace. As I mentioned, we made a successful peace with Egypt more than 40 years ago. The anniversary of of Sadat speaking um, in the in the Knesset is the 40th anniversary is tomorrow. Um, and uh, we certainly have more than 40. I think it's 44 years since he spoke in the Knesset. So the Jewish people would so quickly put down their arms and enter into peace agreements with the Palestinians. If the Palestinians would want peace, but we see very clearly from Hamas's charter and Hamas's open declarations that they're not interested in peace, and they won't stop until from the river to the sea that all the Jews are eradicated and are ethnically cleansed. So we accused of ethnic cleansing. We want peace, and they openly say that they want the ethnic cleanse, and you know we are the ones that are 
are the aggressors. It's, it's actually the ex- absolute opposite. Um, but I think it's very clear the anti-Semitism of the world and the lack of wanting to understand the reality by mainstream media and by Western academia. Um, it's clear anti-Semitism. There's no question about it. But even though we face that in, in the world, the Jewish people, I mean, it's just bizarre. In the year 2023, we see such blatant and open anti-Semitism throughout the world. Um, the Muslim world has framed this conflict in terms that uh, they would convince liberal uh, people around the world that it's, you know, oppressors versus the oppressed. That's the colonizing Israelis that are oppressing the innocent Palestinians, but that's not at all the case. The, the world is being fooled to see it that way. That's not the reality. But be that as it may, as Jews, we should realize that even in the darkness and even when we face such difficult times for the Jewish people, we need to hold on. We need to trust in Hashem. We need to do our spiritual responsibilities of serving Hashem, of fulfilling the Torah and the mitzvahs, and that even amidst this darkness, hold on to the light of Hashem. And if we do that with a emuna, with a trust, with a bitachon, with a complete devotion to God and to God's commandments, so we will see that we will be victorious and we will succeed. And that we'll make it through these times of difficulty and of darkness and of uncertainty for the Jewish people. And so we have our spiritual role to play. We learn from our patriarch Yaakov that even amidst the darkness, we hold on to the light of God and the light of the Torah. And, uh, and we will persevere and we will make it through these dark times and we will see the bright light that will shine in the dawn. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So to conclude... Um, it's important for the Jewish people to remain strong and positive and upbeat, even though we see so many lies and so much misinformation and so much anti-Semitism in the world today. It's very important that we stand by the justice of our cause and understand that the Jewish people are peace-loving, gentle people, full of compassion and of kindness. That's the nature of the Jewish people. But if we have to fight for our survival, we certainly will do so. And as we've been saying, you know, the, the this time of the calendar, um, today we remember that on this day that the um, ship that the British um, wouldn't allow into the port of harbour, um, the, the, a famous ship that wanted to um, dock in the port of harbour, there were 1,600 people on that ship, they were turned away. And sent to the island of Mauritius and many thousands and millions of Jews that were trying to escape Europe were not allowed into the land of Israel because the British were frightened of um, the Arab opposition to Jews coming to Israel. Um, so we see the importance of having a state of Israel. It's critical and vital that the Jewish people have independence in our ancient homeland. And even though we face the darkness of the world and turning against us unfairly and unjustly, 
we know that that's uh, false and that's incorrect, and we will defend ourselves and we will fight for our uh, independence and we will fight for our, um, the the ability of the Jewish people to have our own country. Um, and we realize that the anti-Semitism that we saw in Europe 70 years ago was just, you know, a little bit below the surface. But now it's come back to the fore. Um, but it shouldn't deter us because as Jews, we hold on to our ancient heritage and we hold on to the values that God taught us at Mount Sinai. And in fact, it's very interesting. The Midrash says that Yaakov's dream that we've been talking about of the ladder, Sulam Mutzavarza, Roshamagia Shemaima, Sasulam is Gematria Sinai. The ladder represents Mount Sinai. And when the Jewish people hold on to that ladder and we remain within the paradigm of that ladder, of the Mizgeret, which means the framework of that ladder, which represents the Torah and the mitzvahs. And so, yes, we go up and we come down. Sometimes we rise, sometimes we fall. But as long as it's within the framework of that ladder, we will be able to connect to God and we will receive our eternal destiny of inheriting the land of Israel and of one day all of the Jewish people returning to the land of Israel um, with the coming of Mashiach, Sidkenu Bimhera Amen. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.